0: On episode 98 of the InsureTech Geek Podcast, we're talking about applying sports analytics to insurance with Paul Basir from Coterie Insurance. The InsureTech Geek Podcast powered by JB Knowledge is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific tech we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. All right, welcome again. It is uh, November. Uh, It's hard to believe but we are rapidly approaching the end of 2022. We just passed Halloween and I got to see all the ghouls and gremlins. It was great to to have a more normal uh, Halloween with the kiddos in the neighborhood here and uh, tricky days right around the corner uh, as we speak and uh, soon the, the holidays and end of year will be upon us. So uh, I hope all of you have had a fantastic, uh, healthy and successful 2022 and really thrilled today to uh, um, have Paul Basir from Coterie Insurance with us on the podcast. Uh, I'm your host Rob Galbraith. I am flying solo today. No James Benham on this episode, but don't fear. You're still in good hands. I'm I'm, uh, able to pilot the podcast aircraft, not a real aircraft, mind you, like James can, but uh, when it comes to the podcast you are in get instead with me here in the, the pilot seat. So uh, welcome, Paul. Glad to have you on the podcast. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on. So Paul, we'll certainly dive in a little bit to uh, Coterie and uh, applying sports analytics to insurance. Yeah, when we were talking right before recording, you mentioned Moneyball, one of my favorite books and, and concepts. And um, so it's something that's been a, a fascination of mine for for many years. And so we'll definitely dive into that. But want to learn first a little bit about you and your background uh, which is a little bit different than, and we've had a lot of folks, honestly, uh, sure. uh, over the course of our our guests uh, from the insure tech space that that uh, some with a more traditional background, but many uh, coming from outside the insurance industry and and coming in. But uh, tell us uh, first of all, where are you coming from, and then where where'd you grow up, and kind of where's sure. where's uh, home base for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I live in the Cincinnati area now. That's actually technically where Coterie is headquartered, uh, though, with our 150 employees. I think only about 25 of us are in the Cincinnati area, so we're, we're certainly spread out. Um, came here for school, but actually grew up in uh, Janesville, Wisconsin, a relatively small town. Uh, for me, it was actually cornfields all the way around me. I, I grew up in more of the suburban part, but it was still uh, still what probably a lot of people picture when they think Wisconsin uh, at about 20 minutes south of, of Madison. And. You know, I I was always kind of decent at the math side of things and played every possible sport growing up. I'm the oldest of three brothers. We were ridiculously competitive in everything. My dad was our coach in every sport, like probably pretty cliche, especially when you've got, you know, uh, three sons. And and my dad was a teacher and a coach uh, locally. But, um, you know, the combination of an interest in math and that passion for sports ultimately, I think, catalyzed my career. Um, but growing up, uh, I, I think when I left to go to school to come here to the University of Cincinnati, uh, I was dead set on trying to become like the, uh, the GM of the Green Bay Packers. And uh, uh, my path was a little bit different than that.
0: Well, that's a fantastic uh, Paul. So I'm an only child, but I had a lot of uh, friends uh, growing up that were the eldest brother. And it was kind of interesting. Most of my friends tend to be the oldest and they had a younger brother and then a baby sister. And okay, yeah, very competitive, very sports. We were not very good at sports, but we all like to play and kind of still (laughs) uh, has uh, carried over. And uh, my son is a senior in high school actually right now, and so he's playing basketball and uh, he's done the club circuit and all that he's it's first year of varsity, so he unfortunately has his dad's athletic ability, which is uh slim to none, oh, no. but uh he's a hard worker <laughs> and and actually, my daughter uh who's in seventh grade uh she's been more of a soccer player, but she recently picked up basketball, wanted to try out for the school team, and made the b team and um yeah, I just got actually was at the courts with her right before we we jumped on uh recording nice. the podcast so We'll see. I've was working on her her shooting form, and uh, it was looking pretty good out there. You mentioned University of Cincinnati. Um, yep. Tell us a little bit about you know would you want to be when you grow up. What did you end up doing? Obviously, you mentioned kind of uh, math, quantitative analysis, and then tell us a little bit about kind of your early career.
1: Sure. I mean, when when I was looking at schools, even I applied to about thirty five schools, which I would love to say was like. A good plan. It was more so because I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up or how to get there. Um, and ultimately fell in love. Uh, basically, uh, first of all, it was, it was basically the top 25 basketball in the Ivy League. It was like literally the 35 <laughs> schools I had heard of at that point. And this is like 1999. So the fact that my final two, uh, uh, for those who, who want to go back into the archives, the final two uh, that I was deciding between were Duke and the University of Cincinnati, uh, and I fell in love with a a, a small business program, only about twenty five students at the University of Cincinnati, and I figured if I go into business, I could always go anywhere I wanted to from there um, and you know throughout school I uh, had an opportunity and it 's almost ironic at this point I had an opportunity with the University of Cincinnati to uh, co-op. So every other that time quarter, every ten weeks, you would go from being in school to being at work professionally full time to back in school and school work, school work. Uh, something that's not totally unique to Cincinnati, but they're one of their uh, we are one of the schools at the forefront of the co-op program concept, and. For literally every single quarter that I was uh, on co-op, I worked for an insurance company. Uh, so I would like to say that it, Coterie wasn't actually my first experience in insurance, but there was a 17-year gap between working for Western Southern Financial Group, which you know is core is life insurance, and then me ultimately joining Coterie about two year a little over a year and a half ago. Um, but you know, throughout school, what I while I was a finance major, while I was interested in math, you know, that was basically what it felt like everybody else was telling me to do or what the market told me to do, which it makes sense. And I, I felt fairly opportunistic and <laughs> fairly indecisive. So might as well just run with that. But, but it wasn't until I started getting into statistics and probability that I really found my passion. Um, and my passion was trying to solve problems in an applied manner uh, with data and technology. And my, the timing couldn't have been better. You know, We talked about uh, we, you know, the money ball we've alluded to already in this conversation. Well, Moneyball was happening basically while I was in, in in undergrad and grad school, so I didn't know it was occurring. You know, it was one of those things where there were already people tapping into data uh, and what we would now call analytics and predictive analytics and data science and all these buzzwords that didn't even exist at that time. That if you wrote them into Word, would have a squiggly line underneath them twenty years ago. But uh, <laughs> we've we've invented them since. And, and you know, I realized that not only was sports a good application of that, but in general, that's how I wanted to go about solving problems. And in all honesty, I'll be very frank. It was probably because I'm pretty lazy that I ultimately decided to uh, to go this path. Um, because the first thing I tend to think about when I think of, you know, my foray and the data science, is what it used to take to get to the level of general manager of the Green Bay Packers, which is what I wanted, what I thought I wanted to be, or what it used to take to be one of the best poker players in the world, or even the best stockbrokers in the world. It doesn't have to all be about sports, and that was time. It took time and experience and reps because there was no substitute for it back, you know, up until the early two thousands. but once we got to both, you know web one and 2.0 but we got to more of a technological revolution in addition to um you know starting to acquire copious amounts of information and data we started to figure out how to leverage it And in all honesty, back in 2004, when I was uh, ultimately graduating grad school, there were essentially two paths I could have gone uh, to apply data and data analytics into uh, the professional realm. And they're potentially two of the top few biggest consumers of data in the world, and that's sports and insurance. And in this case, it just so happened. I was a little bit more passionate at that time about the sports world, uh, which is ultimately ironic right now because I feel like I've done enough in that space. And now I'm incredibly passionate and geeked out uh, about working in the insurance space and trying to apply the same things that I learned over time and working in the sports world to now solving problems in the insurance space as well.
0: Uh, So I definitely want to pick up on that thread, uh, Paul and, um, Tell us a little bit about the sports world and sports analytics and, and sure. what were the types of problems that you were trying to solve um, and you know what were some of the techniques? And I know you had a range of different positions. You worked at yep. Fox Sports or even um, were CEO and co-founder of PredictionMachine.com. So really fascinated just kind of about your sure. uh, journey within the sports realm.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I'll, I'll take one quick step back to, to identify when I made the decision to go from insurance to sports. Um, and, you know, I, I, I didn't hate wearing a suit every day, but I was wearing a suit every day working at Western Southern um, and, and, you know, really digging into the operations side and, and some of the more of the investment side. But I was also, you know, probably underutilized as a co-op or an intern. And uh, I will admit that I spent about one to two hours a day uh, playing fa- fantasy sports uh, on, on the Western Southern, and they know this story on the Western Southern uh, <laughs> uh, web or um, within, within those walls. Um, and I sent a note to this company What if sports.com, which did sports simulation analysis about, Potentially getting a, a unpaid internship. I would work from home. I was willing to do anything I could just to try to figure out, like, wh- how could I apply data and technology to to the sports world in a fun way? Because that's the site that I, I was playing fantasy sports on. And the immediate response from what would become one of my only bosses ever, uh, Tarek Kamel, was, you know, the normal, we don't have anything right now, but check back with us in six months and maybe we'll have an opportunity for you. Normal stuff, except there was a PS and it said, you sent this from your Western Southern email address located at 420 East 4th Street, Cincinnati, Ohio were located at 424 East 4th Street, Cincinnati, Ohio. I didn't even know they were next door. They were in a building owned (laughs) by Western Southern. One thing led to another. I got the job um, and immediately jumped in and took over the responsibility of building simulation engines. So simulation to me is the best way to account for the interaction of variables. Uh, obviously, in sports, you can picture what interaction of variables looks like. It's a bunch of players on a uh, chasing after a ball. Usually one player has the ball. Uh, and you've got all of these variables that are associated with their abilities, as well as the rules of the game, potentially weather, potentially home court, potentially the referees. But you've got all these variables interacting, but all of them have a probability of occurring. And then once you bring them all together, you can play out in uh, what a projection of a game looks like. And what we did at at the few companies I was a part of, what if sports initially, Fox Sports was the first person to identify the value, or the first company to identify some of the value. And in taking that entire concept of simulation, where I had written um, the models behind baseball, basketball, football, excuse me, hockey, soccer, at one point did a NASCAR thing, which I never picked up again because it was all physics and not quite... The same thing as everything else all those other sports that are more team-based sports that are you really have individuals trying to compete against each other um but once i got to fox fox said how do we look forward how do we start projecting things um and we did fantasy sports projections and and started to get into the really good at, at predicting what was going to happen especially relative to market expectations so the fans or vegas um i knew nothing about the gambling world at the time, uh, at least the sports gambling world. I, I had uh, been in a few brackets up until that point. My dad liked betting on horses and, you know, I was a finance major. So I knew about gambling on the market, um, but I didn't really know the space. I knew, though, as I started to vet out more of like the sports betting space, that there was an opportunity because nobody was doing it in a nobody was really looking at it objectively. And nobody was doing it in a way that could remove some of the bias of fandom that I knew that data science and data analytics could. Um, so I started a company. You mentioned it, Prediction Machine, um, which was always on the up and up. We always uh, we we had several different uh, partners that we worked with. Uh, we worked with the ESPN, CBS, USA Today, um, Wall Street Journal, many different publications, sports books, uh, as well as the uh, as well as just general fans uh, to understand contextually what's the likelihood of a team to win, uh, what's the projected um, fantasy outcome of any given day. And or uh, what do we think is going to happen due to an injury or what could happen if hypothetical scenarios happen, such as, you know, the 27 Yankees played the 2015 San Francisco Giants or something along those lines? What would be the outcome? So really dug in and found a lot of different applications and, and approaches to applying simulation analysis. Um, ultimately, I sold that company. I think the timing was right. Sports betting was about to become ubiquitous and legal within the United States. There was a big opportunity then of companies looking to either invest or acquire businesses within that space. And um, I sold. We actually, my my brother and I who ran the company. We sold off Prediction Machine uh, at a good time for sportsbooks to be able to take the technology that we didn't really want to have to live the life of the sports betting, you know, either side of the sports betting world forever. Um, We wanted to take that technology and and give it to those who could make the most out of it. Um, And that's why, you know, back in 2016, we sold that business. I continued on for a while, a little while after that, doing some consulting, working with almost every team in the NFL, several teams in baseball, uh, several universities and colleges, helping them make efficient decisions using data, um, which still doesn't sound like a story of someone who 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 now runs data for an insure tech startup, but it all ultimately really helped pave the way for me uh, to be able to understand how to apply the existing data technology and use case um, use cases that we now find ourselves here at Coterie uh, trying to solve every day
0: it's fascinating and um it's it's interesting uh Paul because uh, so I've always been kind of a big Sports fan, particularly growing up. I grew up in Michigan, so I'm a fan of all the Detroit teams, sure. except uh, I moved to San Antonio, as, as our loyal listeners know. And so I've been here in Texas for now almost 25 years. So so uh, I arrived a year before the Spurs got Tim Duncan won sure. the first to five championships there. So definitely converted over to a Spurs fan, but still cheer for the <laughs> Lions and the Red Wings and long-suffering Tigers. And, um, you know, obviously life takes... I was
1: going to say sorry? Yeah,
0: I know. I know. Yeah, it... Um, uh life takes over, you know, I had a family and I've kind of got away from it, but actually during the pandemic, you know, I wasn't traveling as much one. So I've actually kind of rediscovered in some ways my my sports fandom. And so uh I've been blown away at how uh intelligent now I need to be as a sports fan when we talk about kind of you know expected goals in a hockey game or things like that and and obviously there's a lot of conversations about contract and is this guy worth the money or not worth the money or how is this person going to project out and rather than you know, paying an athlete that's on the declining side of their aging curve you know kind of investing in the in, in their younger when they're hitting their peak years and things like that you know, growing up, I don't remember ever saying, "Well, was Isaiah Thomas worth his contract, or Joe Dumars, or well, how much does yeah. Bill and make, right?" Or uh, it was just none of this. So it's it, it's it's fascinating that a lot of that sports analytics that you kind of talked about has now even grown into the casual conversations that fans never mind even the the fantasy or the the the, the betting side of it. Um, so it is kind of fascinating just how data and analytics have trickled down, even for those of us that you know, are are more on the the casual side. So I'm really fascinated with um, um, how all this applies to the insurance. So you kind of mentioned joining uh, Coterie. Uh, So tell us about that. You're the VP of data for Coterie currently. So um, how'd you find out about the opportunity and, and what kind of lured you back over to the insurance side after being in sports for so many years?
1: I, I do appreciate that you said back over because it, it was a you know kind of seminal experience to have worked uh, for Western Southern, uh, now a Fortune 500 company. They love to rub it in. I, I still know some of the people there. Uh, they love to rub it in. And we've even hired some people who have experience working there. They love to rub it in that uh, it was never a Fortune 500 company until like a month after I left. <laughs> um, um, so maybe I was the catalyst for that. Um, but, uh, but, you know, there was a seminal experience for me to really understand because I, I was in the investment side of, of insurance. And, and for some of that period was even on the accounting side, uh, really got to see how all of the dollar dollars flowed. Uh, through a business like that. And and it was a tremendous experience for me to have as a college student. And one that ultimately also, though, led me to believe that, there was a, that this industry was ripe for disruption. And I know that the sports industry overall is a multi-trillion dollar market. I know the sports betting industry is a multi-billion dollar market. And there's a lot of disruption that has, to your point, um, and could occur within that. Um, but I still think there's a bigger pie here. Uh, within the insurance space. And I don't just mean that when it comes to dollars. You know, what what, um, what I was and forever will be chasing is the ability to change an industry or to really have an impact, not myself necessarily only, but the day that I sold uh, Prediction Machine, um, the head of, uh, editor-in-chief of ESPN.com, he's, he's now since moved on, but he sent me a text message that said, you changed the industry. And that was the coolest thing, the best thing that I ever could have happened within my career. And what happened with Coderie is that uh, kind of to You know, I, my, I was incredibly lucky to have been involved in sports when all of those transitions happened that you mentioned. I just happened to be part of it. So the timing for me was perfect, but I actually think that the timing now I'm recognizing all of those same symptoms of the insurance space, especially on the commercial side. Personal has made a little bit more gain uh, towards you know leveraging data appropriately. But on the commercial side, there's still such an opportunity to do a lot of the same things that just happened in sports that you, you alluded to that I was a part of. Uh, And now apply them into this space. And I happen to have been very fortunate, you know, not just from a timing perspective, but from a location perspective. Uh, I've known David McFarland, our CEO, Tim Metzner, one of the co-founders. I've known since before the Coterie days, before they came together to work in this space. And in the past, we had often talked about the opportunity to disrupt the space. And it was literally back in 2018 when I was doing some independent consulting that David and I got together at a coffee shop before he had even launched Coterie. And we mapped out what is now our two-question quoting platform, um, even though we basically let that dream sit there for about three years before I actually came on board full-time with Coterie uh, and saw that the opportunity was going to pay off. Because in all honesty, I didn't know enough about the insurance space to really get where Coterie was going to be in the market. And I had just built something from scratch more than once and wasn't necessarily excited about doing that again, especially without it, with having to bootstrap initially and without funding secured. So I came onto Coterie to run our data team and to help build this two question quoting tool that we have about two and a half years after the company started, but about a year and a half ago um, in relatively early 2021, when the timing was right for Coterie to make that leap into leveraging the types of data sources and information that we are now leveraging.
0: Uh, So uh, for our audience, tell us a little bit about uh, Coterie to start with. Who's your target audience? You mentioned the two question quote process. What do you hope to accomplish? And then maybe you can tie in, you know, how does your role and how do predictive analytics maybe tie to the mission or purpose of Coterie?
1: Perfect. Yeah. So we are a, a, we function as like an MGA uh, in the small commercial space. Our, our hyper focus uh, is on the uh, micro businesses, so one to ten employees. In all honesty, I look at our data. Uh, Forty some percent of all of our of all of our policies are sole proprietors. Two thirds are one or two employees. Um, and 43% of them work out of their residence. you know, have a, have a residential address as the, as the home base for the business. Um, so we're really trying to address a market that, um, has exploded recently. Uh, you know, we don't like to, uh, excited or thank the pandemic for anything, but we were already in the space before 2020 happened and just so happened that a lot of the businesses that we would generally target and want uh, to ensure individuals have decided to start up over the last several years. So uh, it's been a fortunate space to, to be in as of late. And Our focus is, um, well, today at least, we have business owner policies. So we do property and BPP. We do uh, general liability, professional liability or e um, and we just launched Work Comp. And so uh, we are focused on uh, technically under 50 employees, but like I said, that micro that micro is a space. And our goal is bringing speed, simplicity, and service to the market. Um, and I would love to say that I'm really good at the service side of those things, but more of my job is the first two things, speed and simplicity. And uh, as uh, the head of data, I basically have two main functions. One is overseeing the flow of all information through you know a, a, an MGA of the size that we have. So within our business, uh, you know we have several data sources coming in. We have all of the architecture that we've built as an insure tech. We've got many partners uh, including fronting carriers, reinsurers, investors. Uh, just distribution partners, we, do, we generally uh, sell business through the IA channels. Uh, all of them want to see what's happening and, and data is the best way to explain how that is happening. So we serve you know literally hundreds of, of, of audiences uh, with the data that we have and the information that is uh, kind of falls under my purview. Um, the other side of what I do is the prescriptive and predictive side that, that we've been talking a lot about so far, and that is how can we leverage uh, external data, Uh, And and, or any data period, any any information that we have, ours or external data or alternative data information that isn't usually captured uh, for for underwriting insurance policies to underwrite, automate underwriting in insurance. So everything from appetite to eligibility to, uh, you know, schedule modifications to uh, our obviously ultimately our premium. um, But, you know, forms and exclusions and recommendations on policies, we want to be able to have an answer to all of those types of questions by only needing to know from the agent or the policy holder, him or herself, business name and address. And so it's been my job to try to crack that, uh, the code. Um, how do we still answer all the questions we need to, which is which is part of the misnomer and the two-question quoting? We only need the inputs from the agents, but we're still answering actually more questions than anybody else out there because we're pulling in so many different data sources and pieces of information on a business to be able to really understand what it does and ultimately underwrite the policy. Maybe that's kind of the biggest thing I can I can kind of hammer home here for just a second. And that is what I did in the sports world that was different than what anybody else had done is that... Um, with simulation, instead of having to look empirically at what had happened when teams had played historically in in, in in historically similar games to try to determine what would happen in the upcoming game, all I had to ultimately do was look at those two teams with the players that were healthy, what the weather was, what the crowd situation would look like, who the referees were, and try to project out what would happen from that point of the game forward. That could have happened before the game or in, during the game. And in an honesty, that was a major shift in how predictive analytics were ultimately applied to the sports world, especially in the betting and fantasy markets. Well, in insurance, we have the same opportunity. And that is instead of trying to roll things up to uh, homogeneous groups at the industry level or the geography level, um, or um, even by kind of some other risk classifications, uh, what we really are trying to accomplish, and I know we're not the only ones doing this, but what we're really trying to accomplish in the small commercial space is understand who that business is at the most granular possible level so that we can roll that up to ensure and underwrite that policy, um, which we believe is to be the best for the market. The overall market is going to benefit if we can kind of remove some of the variance or risk from from having to roll policies up in homogeneous groups and really try to dive in and find the appropriate premium and, uh, and understanding the expected risk of every individual business.
0: So it's really fascinating. And I love the fact that you're tying in the sports analytics and, and kind of framing that in some of the, the, in some senses, very right, Similar challenges that you're facing on the insurance side, particularly small commercial. And like you were saying about, um, sports you have a lot of small sample sizes right you don't have three to five years of the same players on the same team right same weather conditions all that it's the same with a lot of these small businesses that you're saying as opposed to more established businesses that probably have a loss run that have a you know a a long track record where you can really leverage that and and make a, a fairly good projection forward many of these businesses you know myself included right It's like worked for corporate america for over 20 years and then, you know, after the, the the pandemic decided to to make a leap, go out on my own and yeah. I've been in business less than a year here. So it's like not not nearly the same track record, right? And what I did previously is loosely tied to what I do now, but but very, very different, right? And now asking you and the partner carriers, right, to make a prediction of, of what my business is gonna look like going forward is just a very different proposition. Um so uh would love to to have your thoughts just on from the uh at a very high level kind of the the, the data side and the predictive analytics side of you know what are two or three maybe major uh challenges that you're working on or projects you're working on and then uh, maybe you can put that in the form of you know does a week in your life look like as you try to balance all these keep all these balls in the air i guess i would say
1: sure um I, i'll answer the last question first and at this point I spend about half my time in each of those kind of two big buckets that I mentioned. So I spend about half my time working with our data engineering teams um, around uh, integrity, governance, making sure that we define things appropriately, that our data is secure, um, that we know what's flowing through and that we're able to report appropriately to all of our audiences. That's a, a huge initiative of ours that will always remain in need. Um, that currently sits under you know my purview as as head of data, um, but I spend about the other half of the time more flexing those predictive uh, data science uh, um, muscles, if you will, uh, and, and leveraging that experience. Um, but what's in, uh, but what's interesting is kind of two kind of big things that jump out to me when I when I've looked back over the last year and a half, almost two years now at, at Coderie, and that is um, I spend it's also this is also true in the, in the simulation side of the sports. When I started my own company, Prediction Machine, um, obviously, I had been in the industry already for almost a decade. I don't know if we covered that incredibly well, but that's true. So I knew the space pretty well. But I literally you know, left Fox Sports and within two weeks had written the simulation engines for our models that would be the simulation engines that we would use for the entire rest of the history of that company, which lasted you know, seven, eight years. I spent the rest of my time focusing on the inputs to the model. You know, what mattered? How do we drive bias out of the information that we have? And it's the exact same thing here. The big challenges that we have um, are not determining what's predictive of risk. Um, that modeling in in data science and predictive is, is ultimately fairly straightforward. I used to say, I don't know if these numbers are exactly what I would say these days, but I used to always say that 80% of data science is going to go get the data, cleaning it and figuring out, you know, what to use. And then it's like 10% modeling, 5% deploying or, you know, the prescriptive side of things. And then 5% trying to explain it to everybody and get buy-in, you know, the the actual modeling piece doesn't actually take that long. And it's probably still fairly similar with what we're doing here uh, at Coterie where I spend so much of my time meeting with, uh, our existing or potential data vendors to understand if there's new potential if there's new pieces of information that we can pull in at various levels of that we're comfortable with for uh, coverage and accuracy that allow us to then drive conclusions about the riskiness of a uh, of a of a of a business or a potential policy so um even though the modeling stuff I think is is fairly sexy and it was the same kind of exciting thing that I did in sports Um, It takes very little time relative to trying to find all of the things within the inputs to the model that could matter or would matter or, you know, are new or even potentially intentionally redundant, which we do a lot of times as well, so that we can have like the right amount of information flowing through a system at any given time.
0: We'd love to get your thoughts on where is the state of predictive analytics today in insurance and where do you see it headed in the future?
1: Yeah, I think it's so... One of the, the real interesting things that uh, the movie and or the book Moneyball um mentioned there were two things actually that i think were really interesting that also applied to me in sports and now apply to answering your question directly one of the things that that is stated directly by jonah hill's character in in moneyball for those who have seen the movie um, uh, i i don't love i love jonah hill as an actor i am jonah hill though in the movie not brad pitt i i would love to be able to put that on my resume but all good um but uh one of the things that he really that he really drives home uh, within again, both the book and the movie, that character is uh, the idea of being able to boil a player down to one number. And usually or often, a player had a player's batting average or his or his ERA as a pitcher's batting average as a batter was the closest thing to one number that anybody had used. But what he was talking about is like, how many runs can we generate? from this individual player being in our lineup. And it's a similar thing that I think has evolved a little bit over recent time, especially with VC money being introduced into tax. And that is starting to think of a policy as a lifetime value, as opposed to a loss or a combined ratio. Meaning that loss and combined ratio still matter, but your likelihood to renew is at least as important. It's part of that calculation how long you're gonna be able to retain them, the survivability of that policy, the likelihood to cancel, what their cost of acquisition is, what the um what the cost of servicing uh the policy is. All of those things matter to me just as much as just knowing like what your expected loss ratio is, because all of those then apply rolled up into your combined ratio, which is uh, which is going to dictate the success or not of of the overall entity of the business, uh, or of the overall machine, if you will, of the of the insurance business. So, I think looking at lifetime value is one of the things that has evolved, and focusing more on that than individual components of the lifetime value has really evolved the industry already. And I think that's going to be a place where predictive analytics can can be stronger than ever. Um, the other big topic uh, that I love to to push, and it's true of uh, for my career in sports. I think it's exactly where we are in in insurance right now, is even though we have over 3,000 pieces of information on a business that we're currently leveraging to to drive our underwriting rules, most of those are still either firmographic, you know, what does this company do and how big is it, um, or location-specific, you know, how close are they to a hazard or a a cat concern. Um, And I equate that to a box score in sports. Um, and if you'll if you indulge me here for a second, a quick anecdote about my history, again, in sports is that back in 2006, there's a company called Sportview um, that uh, introduced the idea of being able to put cameras at every basketball arena. And ultimately, uh, similar companies have existed in baseball and football. you get got chips and shoulder pads. You've got cameras, high-tech cameras that can check instantly spin rates, how the ball moves, et cetera, what we would now call telematics. Back in 2006 is when the very first one of those companies was put in place across all of the NBA. I was in predictive analytics and sports, really basically publishing my content from 2005 through 2019, if you include the years that I stuck around to support Prediction Machine. so That's 15 total years of doing predictive analytics. It wasn't until the last one of those years that my simulation models that were based off of just box score information, it wasn't until the last of those years that. Anybody had built any predictive model that could outperform the box score models, meaning that as cool as all that information was and as cool as telematics is to talk about, it's going to take a long time to figure out how to appropriately harness that, especially pre-bind. I actually love the idea of IoT for like claims automation or to alert uh, you know, a homeowner or a business owner that something is wrong and try to mitigate risk. That makes sense. That's more directly prescriptive. But when we're trying to come up with risk prediction modeling, what I think the whole industry needs to really focus on is the box score information. I don't think we've gotten that right yet at all. In and, and so, to me, that would be really understanding what do they do, who are they, where are they located. Very still, most of the general stuff. Once we once we accomplish that, which might take another decade. Um, I think we're going to be able to then pull in really leverage some of the telematics information, but the, the, the Tampa Bay Rays uh, love to think of it as the 2%. Right now they've probably do 98% of the same things as everybody else in the, in the world of baseball, but it's that extra 2% that matters. Well, right now I think that uh, there is, it's a much bigger range of, of uh, improvement that we can make just with box score information before we get to that top two percent, which maybe where telematics uh, ultimately is the is the impact. So there's a lot of progress that we can make before each carrier, or each MGA, or each you know new insure tech can be differentiated by marginal gains. We have much bigger gains to make just by leveraging the information that's out
0: there. Sounds like kind of a crawl, walk, run type of uh, model, and sure. we're still in the walking phase before we can really run. Totally agree. So, Paul, as we wrap up, um, what's next for Coterie, and and where can we kind of expect growth, and maybe some product in, uh, uh, innovation? Not if it's new products or uh, expanding your geographic footprint, etc. What, what's next on the horizon? Would you say for the next twelve months that you can share with our audience?
1: We really need to optimize what we built so far. Um, yeah, you know, we're we're admitted in in fifty states plus. Uh, Canada and, and DC. So we're, we're happy with our geographic footprint. We've got over 300 six digit nakes that are within our appetite, which is fairly broad. Um, you know, we're still going to be hyper-focused on the small commercial space, but since we added WorkComp, comp, we're going to move upstream a little bit. Um, but when I focus on what I'm going to be doing in the innovation space, it's taking all, everything that I just mentioned and optimizing it because, you know, the idea of two question quoting is great. I think the experience is good. We are applying, though, um, you know, some machine learning components to what we do to really hone in and understand a few things, which vendors to trust for which pieces of information. What is the, obviously, we're trying to predict risk, and we're ultimately trying to figure out what's the best, what I think is kind of the missed piece of not necessarily what we're doing, but for the market is, we also want to find what's the best coverage for the policy. So we need to come up with the, the way to predict out or or to at least recommend um, coverages, uh, limits, and the, the more granular and expo, or excuse me, exclusions or endorsements, what's appropriate for that policy? Because we want to help. Um, true innovation doesn't occur within the insurance space unless you get adoption from every party, every party being the customer, the insured, the distribution engine, which is mostly us, Um, and the risk-bearing entity Um, and until and because we because that's where something we truly believe in as an organization we really need to get to a point where our recommendations our inputs to the model are, 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 are everybody's comfortable with and our recommendations is something that you know people are trusting and while we feel pretty comfortable that we're that we've accomplished most of that we will continue to hone in on adding data sources uh, training models and, and really aiding, um, all of the stakeholders, including our, our agents as distribution partners and our, and the insured really aiding them in understanding what they need and what the best products are for them.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned recommendation engines. So we use them every day in our lives, so and we don't think about them, right? Netflix, Amazon, right. Uh, uh, um, but insurance, and I always say that really, um, People want the easy button in insurance and whether that's talking to a live agent, whether that's chat, whether it's doing an online quote, um, they just want to get from point A to point B. They want a good product at the good price. They don't necessarily know what they need for the business, particularly small business owners, right? You, ha- you have so many hats that you're wearing, HR, finance, the operation side, right, et cetera, fundraising. Um, y- you don't want to spend a lot of time on it yet. Obviously it's very important to you. And so you want to be secure. You want to make sure that you're, you're covered you have competitive rates right and and your your all your risks right all your exposures are, are covered and so the that type of recommendation engine i know would be very very uh valuable to folks and um i've actually talked a little bit about recommendation engines in, in my forestry newsletters i'll put a quick plug in there so for those uh listeners that haven't checked it out yet if they go to see the have written a lot about um ai and, and uh, a little bit on recommendation engines and. I just think it's a fascinating subject. So don't want to go too far down the, the rabbit hole here, Paul. So uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, thrilled to have you with us. Uh, where can uh, folks reach out to you if they want to learn more? And where can they learn more about Coterie?
1: Sure. Coterieinsurance.com is, is the website. Um, we do understand that if you go to Coterie.com, you'll learn a lot about diapers, but less about insurance. So we recommend you go to Coterieinsurance.com. Um, we have a pretty strong presence on LinkedIn. I also do individually. So you can find me, Paul Basier. Uh, uh, on LinkedIn uh, for Coterie, but uh, if you just go to Coterie's websites, as I alluded to, or look for us on on LinkedIn, you'll find me and, and many others uh, of our about 150 person organization uh, really interested and willing to, to answer any of your insurance questions. So we'd love to pick anybody's brain and or answer people's questions uh, in this space.
0: Fantastic. Well, it's such a pleasure to have you on, Paul. Thank you so much for joining us here today at the Insure Taking Podcast.
1: Enjoyed it. Thanks, Rob.
0: And thank you, audience members, for tuning in today to uh, uh, episode 98. We are clo- closely approaching episode 100. Uh, we're really excited about that uh, and thrilled to have Paul here from Cuttery Insurance with us today. Thank you all for tuning in and for listening and for uh, being a loyal follower. Be sure to subscribe if you don't already to never miss a future episode. See you next time. This has been the InsureTech Geek podcast uh, powered by JB Knowledge. That's jbknowledge.com. It's all about transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. That's jamesbenham.com with co-host Rob Galbraith. That's endofinsurance.com. Big thanks to Jim Greenley, our podcast producer, Kara Dalton-Alaro, our creative producer. And thank you for joining us today. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next time.